In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in October of 2022. My name is Donna Blanchard. While we recognize that our friend Mickey is dying, we'd like to welcome you to another day of his life. Hello, Mickey. Aloha, Donna. How are you doing today? Um, not so good. A little rough. You lost a good friend recently, right? Yes, Mark Matheson. He lifeguarded with me in Myrtle Beach. And he went on to become a pararescue for the Air Force. There's a those are the people who do learn about everything, scuba, skydiving, everything, so that they can rescue pilots that get shot down or that are in trouble. Mm-hmm. He was very good at what he did. He made friends with rulers of nations. He went around the world. And unfortunately, just a couple of weeks ago, he went to Africa as a consultant and came back with what they said was COVID but apparently it was something very virulent as well. And he went back to his home and now he is, he passed away on the 16th, a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And his house is under quarantine. When he passed away, his wife was taking care of her uncle who was dying. And she comes home and she cannot even go into her own house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found out because one of his dear friends who I'd spoken with before, who's also a PJ, that's what they call the parachute, pararescue people. He uh, called me and he let me know. Mark and I were close and he would talk to this friend about me. Mark basically was taking care of me and talking with me about health issues. And mm. we discussed just about everything when he found out that I was making sure that everything I had was going to have some place to go. He said he would come, he would fly out here and take Kit Kat home with him. Oh. Noel and Kaonana said, absolutely not. <laughs> so Kit Kat will stay here, but just, just the fact that he offered. Yeah, that's a very, good very friend. Nice. Yeah. And, and long time, uh, lifeguarding on Myrtle Beach was a long time ago. Since right? 83. Yeah. Oh, almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. What, uh, where did you say he was again? He was in, at, at this point, in North Carolina. Oh, what, no, before he came home this time. Oh, I don't know. Some, it's, we may, I may not be able to get that information. Uh, okay. But it could have, have been a, Ebola? No, it's oh, not okay. Ebola. But, okay. um, so we're, we're, we're still waiting. We'll, we'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. <sighs> or not. Yeah, maybe. His, his wife called me at 1.30 this morning. And we spoke. And basically, she wanted to hear. She wanted me to talk about Mark because that would relive him in her mind. And I knew it. And I tried my best to, to bring him back you know, to her. And I knew it would not be enough, but that it was the best we got right now. Yeah. So this is my, this podcast is going to be my attempt to do it further, to discuss things that she already knows. She was with me and Mark when we had our discussions and health and other things, and particularly politics. So yes, I'm, I'm yeah. in deep, deep mourning. And you would uh, think that somebody who was dying 
wouldn't be so would, would be more cavalier about death in general but it hurts just as bad that doesn't go away yeah when you lose somebody the grief the grief comes and it comes in waves i mean just i would be sitting there and i just start crying i would a song would come out and i start crying i'd be okay but then i wouldn't be okay so i'm going through the grief process right now i wasn't going to do this podcast but when i was told about uh mark's death by his friend a very good man i um found out that none of of the two sides of mark the military side and the lifeguard side the lifeguard people didn't know there's not a whole lot of connections between us i was i was basically the link so i immediately um called up people and started passing the word on and now they know pretty much everybody who know who knows them knows now so i've that particular kuleana that particular responsibility I've fulfilled so far as I can tell, and I will be diligent to try to fulfill it further. I'm keeping in contact with his friend to find out more information and pass it on as we as we learn. Yeah, they're pretty much on both sides for the military side and the lifeguard side. People are in shock. We did not expect this. Yeah, I, I would think. In, in given your current situation. I would think it would hit harder, not that you could be cavalier about it. Well, that's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and well, you know, my motto, um, we'll let the sirens go. Yeah. It's a little noisy over in Kaka'ako right at the moment. Yeah. Kaka'ako is happening. Yeah. It's really going to be happening soon. The train is supposed to end there. If the, really? if the train here in Honolulu in on Oahu ever happens, yeah, it's gonna end right where near where you live. <laughs> All right, um, where was I? Uh, how this hit you, given your current? I would think it would be even hit you even harder, given your current diagnosis. What's happening is I am so enamored with life, and part of life is grief. So I'm diving right into that. My motto that if things get bad, make it worse. I'm living that. I am playing music that I knew he liked. I'm wallowing in the grief. I'm just letting it all out. And there's a degree to where it hurts, hurts, hurts. But there's also a degree to which it feels good. Because um, I am letting him know how much I love him. Yeah. I... Okay, given that you said that, you can always tell me if you don't want to answer any of my questions, but I would, and you're in day one, you are in day one of yes. even learning about this. So um, we'll take this uh, um, as slowly as you want to, but I would, I having lost people who are very dear to me, I think if I knew my end was near, I would be um just hell-bent on spending every moment i possibly can with the ones i love knowing that they are soon going to be going through exactly what you're going through right now um that's not up to me i don't have control over that schedule so i don't really worry about it i will you know this 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 is basically my attitude i will mourn when i need to mourn 
and I will talk to them whenever I can, of course, you know, but yeah, there's, there's only so much I can do. So I, I, I try not to burden myself okay. with too much else. So maybe your grief is actually lighter than it would be had you not come to this place with your own I, I can't answer that. <laughs> I don't have a comparable life to. <laughs> yeah. But well. yeah, so maybe, who knows, maybe. Um, I, the question of my grief being greater or less, I thought about that, obviously. But um, I think that what it is, is that uh, the intensity of it, I embrace it just as I embrace my own death. I embrace their death and the grief that comes with it. I am a human being. And I do hurt when that happens. Um, it's something that uh, Nolani Arista, when she was talking about Kanikau. And those are, make sure I'm pronouncing this right. Yeah, Kanikau. Those are morning chants that you, that dirges that you chant for people who have died. And she says that, um, this is a quote from her in an essay that she wrote. And Noelani, by the way, is an awesome, awesome person. She writes, a skilled composer could ev evoke the ua kinakinai, a rain that imagines death as extinguishing connection and also a grief which will not abate. Yes, that is 100% right. Like a heavy, steady rain that pelts relentlessly upon a person's na'au or belly or guts. And I think more guts because it's internal when a loved one passes. And I think that that just hits it on the head for me. Relentless. That's relentless. It does not stop. And I can't stop it. And part of me doesn't want it to stop. So it's, it's, it's multiple, multiple layers of, of significance for me because it makes me... Um, Believe it or not, I feel closer to the person. It doesn't, I, it's, part of it is not that they're, they're separated. I'm actually establishing a connection with them. Um, I feel bonded to them. And that bond to me right now is everything. Uh, it's, it's the source of my grief. It's also the source of my comfort. It's, it's, it's both at the very same time. Mm. And it's also letting me know something of what people will go through when I go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you won't have to worry about missing us. Maybe yeah. I will. Yeah. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe I will. I think I will. I think that I will be equally upset. Because I feel because I feel it now. I'm 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 already missing people and I'm not even gone yet. Mm. The second thing that I there there were I looked up three things to try to explain my relationship with Mark, my love for Mark. The second one is something that David Murrah says. Are you familiar with David Murrah, the Japanese American author? Um, yeah, playwright and poet. Yeah, right? yes he is. He wrote a book called um, Turning Japanese, Memoirs of a Sansei. And in it, he describes um, how a poet named Matsuo said at this line, before dawn, I received a letter from a friend who died 15 years ago, 
but I can't decipher his message written on black paper with black ink. Mm -hmm. I think that Mark sent me, I think that the dead will do that. They send us messages, but they're written on black paper with, with black ink. You know, this, it's not really clear what they're saying. So I've been listening to the details, talking with Mark's friend and talking with his wife about what had happened. And so it's really rather fascinating. He, um, he comes back from Africa. He's not feeling good. He contacts his PJ friends. Word goes to his wife on the 16th that he is dead. He died. She got news of it uh, 30 minutes after he died. She found out really quickly. I found out the next day because of his friend that called me. So, but he died alone. She was not with him. And I thought, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. But she said something else that makes sense to me considering... The conversation, Mark and I talked about the afterlife. I told him that I wanted to continue to work, that, that the afterlife was going to be just the next stage for me being able to help people. He knows that. And I think what he did, she says that he was giving her hints that he was going to die, although he did not know. He would say things like, this is the kind of coffin I want. Um, he was oh. talking about settling his death issues, right? And so she said, she said, he knew it and that he was preparing her for it. Well, if that's the case, then if he catches some communicable disease, it would make sense for him to come home because he would want to be home, but that he would come home and make sure that nobody was there. Mm -hmm. She was not home to greet him because of course she would have. Because of the quarantine. Well, when he first came home, there wouldn't have been a quarantine. Ah. So why wasn't she there? She was taking care of her uncle. Oh, oh, okay. So I just have a feeling that Mark's mana, Mark's ashe, whatever spiritual force was strong enough because he was a good man and he helped everybody. He helped me tremendously. He was brave. He was strong. He was generous. I think that he set it up so that none of the people he loved, who was fiercely protective, would be harmed by it. On a subconscious level. Whatever level it works on the spiritual plane, because as, as you and I have discussed, um, we're not always conscious of how our soul works. And yeah, I've, I've, I've talked with his uh, PJ buddy, and we've discussed about whether or not he is sending us messages. And PJ buddy believes he is. And I told him, I back you 100%. Because, you know, once again, I'm evidence, I'm evidence driven. All these things happened in this way that kept anybody close to him from coming to harm. I do not believe this is coincidental. Hmm. I mean, I don't have to believe that he knew it consciously, as you said, but coincidental. No, no, that's, that's, that's too much. And my yeah. relationship with the spirit world right now is making such things really, really possible in my mind that, that they, they could work out this way. So the letter written with black ink on black paper, I'm slowly, slowly deciphering it. I'm getting a word here and a word there. And I think I'm able to add it up to see just what a magnificent man this was. 
Just he was everything that I aspire to be. Do you feel he was a better man than I am? Oh. Do you feel like that makes you will make you try to be more conscious? Even more con- I think you've already been very conscious about how you are leaving things. D- does this it's and still we're on day one, so this is really yeah tough. Well, time. our Kulianas are different, you know. His his responsibility was to protect the nation and protect the ones the ones he loved. And he was real clear about that to the point of massive paranoia. He lived out in the country. Um, he had a gun in every room. Hmm. Lord knows what kind of what kind of <laughs> munitions he had st- you know, stacked or hidden wherever in, in his beautiful home. His home was beautiful in the middle of like it's gorgeous forest, mm-hmm. um, open fields. So um, his bravery was of a different type than mine because he had seen so much violence and, and conflict and no doubt he had seen the innocent fall due to the, you know, mercilessness of the evil during his operations that he was involved with. So he was extremely distrustful of government, extremely paranoid. He would send me all of this conspiracy theory stuff. He was also not, he was, he was a a Southern white man in the worst way. He made a statement that um, uh, Robert E. Lee, was a champion of democracy. Mm. <laughs> I said, you know the history of Robert E. Lee. You, you yeah. know this. How could you even make that statement? And he thought about it and he said, you're right. But then he would pivot onto something else, which is a, um, a, a, a strategy that I've seen MAGA people do over and over and over again. So he was um, supportive of ideas that to me will, will dismantle our democracy he was supportive of a man who would be king and i don't believe in that and so he and i would butt heads on it but here's the difference he did not go join the insurrection his solution to what he saw was take care of his family we're going to move someplace where if the if the shite hits the fan we're isolated we've got you know all these meals because he had, he had mris right the military meals prepared we have all these weapons. We can protect ourselves when the when the American government falls apart, which is what he's looking to see will happen. So, and, and he he made sure that his wife was taken care of. He had all of his ducks in a row before he died, except for me. And so, I think that he probably had so much to do before he died that he just didn't have time to do it all. And of course, you know, he didn't know when it was going to happen. I just have a feeling that he knew it would. And he, so we did not get a chance to get that final conversation, but I still got that letter yeah. in black ink on black paper. Um, and I'm grateful for that. So I, I feel like that's, that's the communication that I'm getting. The, the other quote that I wanted to, wanted to read was from um, Julius Caesar, the Shakespeare's play. And it's from the um, funeral speech by Mark Anthony for Caesar after Caesar got stabbed by Brutus and the rest of the senators in the middle of the Senate and in the middle of the, the council floor. So he, and when Mark Anthony wrote that, he said that 
Brutus, who he says was an honorable man, the, the executioner of Caesar was an honorable man who said that Caesar was ambitious and ambitious in the wrong way. What he was referring to was Caesar seizing power and making himself emperor when it was against Roman law for anybody to be a king. Caesar did that, and that's why he was executed. That's why Brutus killed him. But um, Mark Anthony in this, in this play said that when the poor people have cried, Caesar had wept. In other words, Caesar had pity for the, for the less fortunate. He was not strictly a man of the royalty, of the, of the, of the high classes of the Senate. He was a man of the people. Um, and he said, I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak of what I do know. I've told you what I consider to be the massive flaws in logic that my friend had that I find dangerous to the nation. But I'll also mention again, he was not an insurrectionist. He did not go against the government. He was just really critical, and that was his right. So at the very end, he says, bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar. And I must pause till it come back to me. And that's where I am right now. My heart is with Mark. And I got to basically put life on hold for the next couple of days until it comes back. And I guess maybe that's why, it's, why it hurts. You know, if you took your heart out of your chest, you wouldn't feel so hot. And it does not. It is horrible. But it's, it's absolutely necessary, I think, as a human being to go through it. And so I, I know a lot of his friends, both, both as the lifeguards and, uh, and the PJs, the military people, that they're right wing. And I would even probably consider a lot of them extremists. But Mark was a bridge. Hmm. He, you know, he's, he's brought us together. And so the, these men I will, I will, and, and women I will talk to and I will love and cherish because they loved and cherished him as I did. Um, and he can remain a bridge. He's still a yeah. bridge. Yeah. And, and here's the difference um, between the bravery that he had. He was a far more brave man than me. Well, for one thing, because he was a whole lot more coordinated. <laughs> I'm clumsy. Mark was skilled. He was an athlete, 100%. Um, he was a fantastic swimmer. So as a lifeguard, he could, he could dust me in the water. There's no question about it. Um, he was the one who trained me to become a Marine. Wow. He was a great coach. His bravery was tempered by his paranoia because he had seen so much bad. While my bravery is more serenity, I had more serenity than him. So I will tap into his bravery as much as possible and his honor, which I just, you know, in terms of actually expressing it, far exceeds mine. And I will try, hopefully, to extend to him my serenity because he needed that. He had PTSD and a lot of a lot of trust issues, problems with everybody except the people he loved. So even though we disagreed 100 percent, we loved each other. Thank and you. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with Mickey, with us, Mickey. Thank you for wanting to share it while you're in the midst of all of those emotions. Aloha. Aloha.
I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying.